0: Good morning. Our passage this morning is from James 3, verses 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is God's word for us today. You may be seated. Good morning.
1: My name is Josh Hebman. I'm the executive pastor here at Grace. And hearing that passage from James, you might think, wow, this whole thing can be some dip in in, and you better watch your mouth, right? Anybody have a parent or a grandparent that said that to them? Boys, especially little boys ever have a, a mother or a father. So you better watch your mouth, young man. Ever had that happen to you? It might seem like that's all that's going on here in James chapter three in the first 12 verses, because that's, that's kind of the gist of the message. You better, you better watch your mouth because you're going to say something that you shouldn't, or you've already said something that you shouldn't, but there's actually a lot more going on here this morning. There's a lot going on with the heart that we need to talk about, but before we get to the heart, I want to ask this question. It's kind of a strange question. Where do words come from? Why do we have words at all? It's an existential question. In other words, this is a question about the existence of words. Why do we have words? Why do we make meaning? Why do we talk? Why do we think? And when I say tongue this morning, because James says tongue, for sure we're talking about speech, but know that this is not limited to speech. If James was writing today, he might easily say text or post Right, Because writing words or signing, if you use sign, these are all ways that we can communicate meaning. And so when James is talking about the tongue, don't just hear him say speech because it is more than speech. It's about intent. But where does meaning making come from? Either it comes from nowhere. It's random. That's one option. It just happened. It just evolved. We, as creatures, started making sounds to one another. And then, at one point, some of us agreed that some sounds meant one thing and some sounds meant another. And eventually, we developed this very complex pattern of speaking. And then, eventually, that's split into millions of languages over time. Or, or words come from somewhere. Here's what the Bible says in the very first verses. Of Scripture. It says, And God said, God spoke, God introduced words when He introduced everything. So, this is the Bible's answer to the question, Where do words come from? Why do we make meaning? The Bible says, Because God makes meaning. Because God is a rational, logical, ordered God. He thinks, and He speaks, and He spoke the world into existence. And because He spoke the world into existence, we also can speak. There are words that we have access to. And there's one specific word that we have access to that's very important. And it is Jesus. John 1, 1 through 18 talks about Jesus being the word become flesh. So not only did God speak the world into existence, not only do words start the whole thing, but words also end the whole thing. Specifically one word, Jesus. He's the culmination. He brings it all together. And so this is where words come from. This is why we have words. This is why we make meaning. Because God makes meaning. But that's where words come from. Why do we have words? Why do you and I speak to each other? Because we are his image bearers. God made us to reflect him. Genesis one twenty seven says, Therefore, God made man in his image, male and female. He made them to reflect his image, to bear his image. And part of that image bearing, part of the work that we do as bearers of God's image is to make meaning to one another, to communicate with one another, to use words with one another. So that's where words come from. That's where our words come from. But there's one other place that our words come from. And James knows this because James, the writer of James, is the brother of Jesus. And James has heard Jesus talk many times about these things. We're going to see as we look at James chapter 3 that James is using some of the same analogies that Jesus is using. So we know. We know that James has Jesus' words in his head. And there's one other place that Jesus says our words come from. And it's here in Matthew 12. Uh, In verse 34, he says, From out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So there's this question where do words come from? And we ask, Why do we have words at all? It's God. It's because he made the world and because he spoke the world into existence. He created us that way. That's how he designed the universe. But then there's also this that we bear his image, and either we bear it well, and the overflow of our heart, the treasure in our heart, is him or it's something else. But regardless of whether it's him or something else, that's where our words are going to come from, out of the overflow of our heart. That is where we're going to speak from today. So as we look at James chapter 3, keep this in mind. We're going to keep coming back to this. Because in this series called Faith Works... We've been talking about the different ways that we work out our faith. We work out our salvation, not because we have to do works to be saved, but because if we've been saved, we ought to be doing things that demonstrate that salvation. So Brooks tried very diff- uh, tried very hard last week to disentangle what does it mean that our faith uh, our faith generates works, but our faith is not caused by works. And he spent a lot of time on that. And so I encourage you to go back and listen to that message if you were not here last week. But understand that faith working itself out, it should look like you believe what you say you believe. And even James says, faith should not only work, but it should speak. Your, your words and your actions should line up. So words are also important. He says, so speak and so act as one who is living under the law of liberty. And we've said here a couple of times that the law of liberty is the gospel. The law, as presented to Israel, the law is just just a record of right and wrong. And nobody can be saved by following the law. Jesus keeps it perfectly. We can't. And so he says, since you can't, I'll do that for you. And I'll die for your sins. And if you believe in me, you can have everlasting life. But he says, if you have everlasting life, live like it, speak like it, act like it, let your life reflect the thing that you say you believe. So we're talking about faith speaking today. We're going to talk in James. And so we need to look at what James has already said before we get to chapter three. What has James already said about speaking? In 126, he says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Now, this might be a confusing verse to some of you, because if you've spent any time at grace, if you've spent any time in evangelical churches, you've probably heard people say things like, religion is bad. You don't want to be religious. You want to have a relationship with Jesus. And so you've heard that sort of distinction made. Well, that's actually the distinction that James is making right here. He's saying, don't just be outwardly religious. Don't just go to church for the sake of going to church. Don't just give to the church for the sake of giving to the church, but rather instead, instead, let your speech and your action line up. Do what Jesus commands because you love him and let the whole world see that. Let that be a witness. Let that be a testimony. The other option is that you are deceiving your heart. Either you control your tongue and you make the speech and the actions line up, or you are deceiving yourself. You don't actually believe what you say you believe. So that's what he says in chapter one. And then in chapter two, he says, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. You cannot do this by yourself, so you need the gospel. And we'll talk about this again when we get to the end. But to bridle our tongue, to not deceive our heart, we have to be under the law of liberty. Because if we try to do this by ourselves, we're going to fail. We know this. We know this instinctively. We know this by experience. We will fail. So we need to live under the law of liberty, which is the gospel. We need to remember who we are in Christ. If we have salvation, we're new creatures. We have to live like new creatures. We have been born again. We have to live a new life. So here's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the words that we have in our heart. Uh, That's the first couple of verses in James Ask yourself, even as we get started, what words are in your heart? What treasure is in your heart leading to the words that come out? We're going to talk about that this morning. We're going to talk about uh, what our words do in the world. Because it's very clear from James that our words, our tongue, our writing, our texts, our posts, all of those things, they have a significant impact on the world. So we're going to talk about our words in the world. And then we'll wrap up by talking about what our words can do for the Lord. What does he want to do with our words? For himself. Would you pray with me? Holy God, we are so dependent on you. You have given us everlasting life. You have the words of eternal life. Peter rightly said this to you, Jesus. Where else could we go? So help us to see that this morning that this gift, this everlasting life, is something that we can hold, that we can give away, that we can share with everyone we meet. Lord, I pray that we would be willing to give up every other treasure for you. And that out of the overflow of you in our heart, Lord, we would speak the truth in love. Keep us from sin, Lord, keep me from sin. Let my words be yours this morning. I ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. So we're talking about faith speaking. In James 3, chapter 1, uh, James 3, <laughs> verse 1. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And verse 2, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle his own body. Here's some context, both some historical context and some context within James, some uh, scriptural context. Historically, you need to know that when James is writing this, it has become a popular pastime for people who have a skilled tongue, for people who are good public speakers, to make a living out of going from church to church or from synagogue to synagogue and just preaching. And they are developing reputations, they are developing followers for themselves. Okay, And James is speaking against that very specific practice. He's saying not many of you should desire to become teachers because you know that we, and here he's including himself right, in the group that is teachers, we who teach are going to be judged with greater strictness. So don't, don't be careless with your words. Don't throw your words out into the world simply for the sake of gain or popularity. Be more careful because your words are more important than that. And in fact, he goes on in verse 2, right. and this is the context within James. I started here in James 1. We know that we all stumble in many ways. So let's, let's forget about the fact that maybe some of you are abusing your God-given gifts as talented speakers. Let's just go back to the fact that all of us struggle. All of us stumble in many ways. If anyone thinks he is religious and do not, does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. That person's religion is worthless. That's most of us, most of the time, when we're trying to do this in our own strength. And so James says, before you even get to going out and being a speaker for hire, just remember, this is something that we all struggle with. All of us stumble. And so we need to ask ourselves, why? Why are we stumbling? If we know that we have life everlasting in Christ, if we know that we have the words of eternal life, why do we continue to stumble? Where is that coming from? James 1 points to this idea that we have to bridle not only our tongue, but our whole life. He's going to get to that later here in chapter 3. But... What does that mean? What are we why are we bridling? Why are we guiding and directing? For those of you who don't know, right, a bridle is a harness that goes over the head of a horse or a camel to steer it. Right? And he's using this metaphor a couple of different times in James because he wants us to understand that we need to be steered. We are headed off course, otherwise. But why? Well, ask this question. Ask yourself this question. How does your faith speak? Not what do you say you believe, that's a different question. But what does the faith that you confess to actually look like? Because here's the thing our actions, whether they're our words or our deeds, our actions are directly reflecting our beliefs. If I tell you that I'm a health food nut, which I won't, ask my wife, right? I am not in fact a health food nut. I like nuts, but I'm not a health food nut. If I tell you that, there should be some evidence in my life. If I tell you I'm a health food nut while I eat my third donut, you're not going to believe me. So how does your faith speak? Because your faith is speaking, Jesus told us, out of the overflow, out of the treasure in your heart. So the better question maybe is, what is the treasure in your heart? What have you treasured in your heart? Matthew twelve thirty four and Luke six forty three through forty five are parallel passages. These are the same story in different gospels. Okay? And Luke, this is how Jesus puts it He says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit, for figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. This is the same language that James uses. We know that James is thinking about what Jesus is saying. So we have to ask ourselves this same question that Jesus is posing. By saying that this is the case, there's a question. What's going on in your heart? What are you treasuring? And you might say, well, I treasure Jesus. And I believe that. I believe that many of you do. But what do you also treasure? What else is in your heart that you value? Think about it this way. When you go to the grocery store, if you're a parent and you're buying the groceries, or you're a roommate and you're buying the groceries, and you buy food that you know will be shared, and you bring it back to your house, and you're sharing it with everyone, that's the treasure, right? You've brought it home, and now you're giving it away. But how many of you, parents, roommates, Also buy food that you don't share. That you put in a cupboard that you don't tell anybody about. Or you bring it into your bedroom and it goes in the nightstand. Right? That's the chocolate the kids aren't supposed to know about. That's also your treasure. And that's the treasure that you don't want anybody to hear about. And if we do that with our groceries, how much more do we do that in our souls? Think about all of the things that you keep in your heart along with Jesus. Your spouse. Your career, your finances. There are lots of things that we treasure that are not Christ. And out of the overflow, out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth speaks. And so the more value, the more treasure we accumulate around what we want for ourselves, what we want to keep for ourselves, the security that we want, right? Trust and faith in things or in success or in the certainty of this life, our speech will come out of that treasure as well. So it is possible to treasure Jesus, but it is also possible to treasure other things. And what Jesus says here in Luke, and he says it again in Matthew, is that eventually, this is all going to produce one kind of fruit. And you will be one kind of tree. Either a good tree or a bad tree. Either a fig tree or a grapevine. You will not be both. You can't be both. And so the words in our heart are going to add up to words coming out of our mouths. They're going to come up. They're going to add up to a way of speaking about our faith. And people are going to see that. They're going to understand what we treasure based on what we say. Now, you might be saying, well, I do treasure Jesus, but it's just that there's these bad circumstances. They make me say and do bad things, right? If it weren't for the idiots on the road, I would be fine." If it weren't for all of those fast city drivers, we people in the country would be fine. If it weren't for all those slow country drivers, we, we people in the city would be fine. right? Or pick your person, whatever it is. right? The people that are in front of you buying groceries, right, checking out, they're always the worst. doesn't matter who they are because they're in front of you. And that circumstance makes you say and do bad things, right? It's just the circumstance. You're a good person. You're mostly a good person. You love Jesus. He's in your heart. But it's this stressful circumstance at work. You don't know what I have at work, right? You don't know how my kids behave. You don't know what I'm going through. But we do know that Jesus, who was beaten and abused and crucified, Jesus, who had every possible circumstance working against him, said of those who are killing him, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So I don't know what your circumstances are. That's true. And I don't know what stress you are under. That's true. But I do know what Jesus did when he was being killed. And out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth spoke. I also know this. Jesus says this in Mark chapter 7. He says, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts and sexual immorality and theft and murder and adultery and coveting and wickedness and deceit and sensuality and envy and slander and pride. Foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. The context of that conversation, some Pharisees have come to Jesus and they say, and they say to him, why don't, your, why don't your disciples wash their cups before they drink out of them? Why don't they do that? Don't you know, Jesus, that when they don't wash their cups, they're pouring sin into their bodies because they're unclean? And Jesus says, no, they're not pouring sin into their bodies. He says, when you, when you drink bad stuff, right, it's expelled from the body. There's a system for that. That's not bringing sin into the body. He says, the sin is coming out of the body. You all have sinful treasures stored up in your heart, and that's why sin is coming out. When you are envious of someone, Right When envy comes out of you in the form of words, in the form of speech, when you speak envy, it's because you're envious in your heart. When you speak pride, when you know for sure that the other guy is wrong, it doesn't matter what about. Right, But you just know that they're wrong, and there's no way you can look at them except for as a person who is wrong, there is pride in your heart. There is a treasure there that you have made of pride that said, I will not be torn down. When I was in uh, 6th grade, 5th and 6th grade, there was this kid who used to bully me. I was not always the outstanding physical specimen that you see before you. (laughs) He was a big guy, and he picked on me, and that was real. But my response to him, right, the reason that I was upset with him, had a lot less to do with his physical intimidation of me and a lot more to do with the pride in my heart. I was much more concerned with myself and how I felt than him and how he felt and who he was. I didn't love him like Jesus loved me. Even in sixth grade, I knew that Jesus was my savior, but I was not loving him the way I had been loved. That was a real external pressure, right? You all have real external pressures. But the reason that evil comes out of you is not because of those real external pressures. It's because you have made things treasure in your heart that have no business being there. And Jesus is very clear on this. It's coming from within. That's where it's coming from. It's inside of you. So we have these words in our heart. And if we treasure Jesus, he will fill our heart. We know that. And if our heart is filled by Christ, the overflow will be faith. That speaks as Christ spoke in truth and love. We know all this. But why is this important? Right? Why does it matter that we know this? Is it just so that we don't say mean words? Is that the whole import of James? You better watch your mouth. It's worse than that. It's bigger than that. What does James say about the tongue? He says this. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at ships also. Though they're large and are driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. And how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature... Can be tamed, has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. This is bigger than you better watch your mouth because the world is at stake. We set the world on fire with our words. We set each other on fire with our words. And sometimes it doesn't even take a word. How many of you have been devastated by a look? somebody has looked at you for two or three seconds and you knew exactly what they were saying. They didn't have to open their mouth at all. You can set a person on fire with the fire of hell that way. That's why this is serious. That's why it's important that we give up the treasure in our heart that has no business being there. This is why it's important that Jesus be the only treasure that's there because this is the other option. Here's what happens if Jesus is not our treasure. We set the world on fire. It's not just I kept something back for me. It's I am endangering my brother and my sister and my husband and my wife and my child and my parent. I'm putting them all at danger for the sake of me holding back something from the Lord because I want it more than I want him. So when this is reality, this is death. This is destruction. And you all have been there. You have been with people. You have been people who have made others feel this way. Where the world is burning and in ashes. You have said things to your brothers and you have said things to your sisters that have destroyed them simply because you wanted the satisfaction of seeing them burn. And Jesus says, through James, it ought not to be this way. These brothers, these sisters, these men and women, they were all made in the image of God. You should not praise God with that mouth and also curse your brother. It should not be that way. So the tongue is a fire. It sets on fire the entire course of life. It's set on fire by hell. No human being can tame it. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. That's what our words do in the world without Christ. That's what happens when our treasure is not Jesus. Jesus. Right, out of the overflow of that treasure, this is what happens. And if we leave it alone, if we don't do anything, it'll destroy us. It'll destroy the world. And we know, we know, James says it, we know it, no human being can tame it. So this leaves us with a little bit of a dilemma, right? We cannot leave it alone. We don't want to be destroyed. We don't want to destroy everyone around us. But we can't tame it. We need to, James says, the perfect person is somebody who can bridle not only their tongue, but their whole body. That's the goal, that's the desire, that your religion not be worthless. Right? He says your religion, uh, in chapter one, he said it should be pure and faultless. And here's what it looks like. Visiting orphans and widows in their distress and keeping yourself unstained from the world. Now, that's pretty specific, right? Who here is wondering, um, where can I find an orphan and a widow today so that I can go visit them in their distress? Well, that's, that's a catchphrase, right? That is a clue to James' audience of the kind of service that he's talking about. In James's day, orphans and widows are people who cannot care for themselves, people who are completely dependent on others. And so he's saying, that's what it looks like to live out your faith. Go care for people who can't pay you back. Go give to those people who cannot care for themselves and keep yourself unstained from the world. Don't have treasure that's not Jesus. Right, That's pure and faultless religion. So that's the goal. That's what he wants for us. That's what Christ wants for us. But we can't even tame our tongue. So what do we do about that? How do we make our religion pure and faultless? What does that mean to make our religion pure and faultless? We're going to go back to James. We're going to go back to the rest of this chapter, this section in chapter 3 because James is going to point us in the right direction. He says, it should not be this way, right? That we bless our God and father with one, with one tongue that we also curse those made in the likeness of God. He says, these things ought not to be. So verse 10, a spring cannot put forth both fresh and salt water. A fig tree does not bear olives. A grapevine doesn't produce figs, right? It should not be this way. So what do we do? And remember, I told you that James is pointing back to Jesus. James is using these analogies because Jesus uses these analogies. So what should we do? I'm going to turn to Matthew chapter 12 here. I don't have the text. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn with me, turn there. Matthew chapter 12, we already quoted from verse 34, but I'm going to read the larger larger context of this section here. Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 33, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. And he's speaking to Pharisees here, Jesus says, he says, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And that's a hard passage. But Jesus is pointing the way here. He's directing us. How should we deal with this? If we know that we can't tame the tongue, but we need to, what should we do? And this is how this section starts. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. We do have a role here. We cannot tame the tongue. That is beyond us. But we can, we can make Jesus our Lord. We can make Jesus our Lord. We can give up the things that we treasure that are not him. We we can't tame our tongue. God's implanted word can do that. Here's what he says in uh, 121. He says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. That's the Holy Spirit. Right? That's what Jesus wants to give us. And we can receive that gift and do what Christ commands us in response to that gift. And what that looks like is making him Lord. I know I'm going through these slides quickly, but I want to get here because this is the crux of today, of right now. Why do we call him Lord and not do what he tells us? This is what it means to have other treasure in our heart calling Jesus Lord, saying, you are my master, right? You're the one who gets to direct the course of my life, but you can't direct this part. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's what James is saying when he says, it ought not to be this way. It ought not to be the way that that you bless God with your mouth, and then later with that same mouth that you curse out your brother who is made in God's image. What you're doing, James says, in effect is you are treasuring Christ and something else. And Jesus says, stop doing that. Make the tree good or make the tree bad. Either make me your treasure, let me be your Lord, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive the implanted word, the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit that I gave you or don't. But here I am, I am Lord, let me be Lord. How many of you have heard this passage here from Luke chapter 6? And you've heard this as a song. Anybody, anybody singing this song as they read this passage? Wise man building a house upon the rock. Anybody? Actions? Yeah? No? Anybody? Anybody over 50? Yes? All right, there we go. Thank you. Appreciate that, Tommy. I always thought that this passage was simply about wisdom. Right? If you're wise, you'll build your house on a rock, and if you're foolish, you'll build your house on sand. Yeah, that makes, that makes sense. You live around a floodplain long enough, you know that that makes sense. You build your house on sand, it's a bad idea. This is not simply about wisdom. This is about obedience. Why would you call Jesus Lord and not do what he says? Well, because I like this treasure over here, God. I know that you bought good food for me at the store, but I want to keep this chocolate over here for myself. Don't take it from me, it's mine. And then that starts to accumulate. And then we start to speak out of that treasure that's not Christ. And we start to burn down the world. So if you're going to call him Lord, call him Lord and let him be Lord. Build your house on him. Do what he says. What does he tell us to do? When he says, obey me, what is he talking about? He's talking about loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourself. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about keeping the other commandments as well, but we keep those other commandments because we love God more. Because he is the treasure in our heart. So that's what he's talking about. When he says, build your house on the rock, that's the rock. That we would love the Lord our God above anything else. That he would be the only treasure in our heart. That is our goal. That is what we would strive for if we would be like Jesus, that we would love as he loved. And so here's what he's calling us to. Here's what it means to make him our treasure. So to bridle our tongue, our whole body, we have to do what Jesus says. We have to build our life on him. We have to make him our treasure. Practically, right, that's going to be difficult because obedience is hard. When we have those circumstances that annoy us, that frustrate us, those circumstances which sometime are beyond just annoyance, but they get into situations that are very difficult, right? Like the death and loss of loved ones, abuse from people who are supposed to love us. It becomes very difficult to continue to make Christ our treasure. So we have to approach him in our brokenness. And we have to say, Lord, this is very difficult. And he says, in that circumstance, when the person who is supposed to love you is not loving you, when people are genuinely trying to hurt you, trust me, admit that even in that, even in that moment, right, you are struggling and that you need him. Because God wants to implant his word in you. And the fact is that most of us on a daily basis are not in that situation in this congregation, especially most of us are not in the situation where daily we are in danger, Rather, most of us are in the situation where daily we're in a place where we're in comfort. And so that's where we have to hear him say, put away all filthiness and wickedness, be meek enough to believe that you have some filthiness and wickedness that you need to get rid of because if you have made anything besides Christ your treasure, you do. It's in there. And let his implanted word, his Holy Spirit, come in and root that out. Show you what it is so that you confess it, so that you get rid of it. That's what it means to use your words for the Lord. Praise him for your salvation, but then also submit to his sanctification. Sanctification is an ongoing process. It is the process by which we become more like Christ. And he wants to do this over the course of your entire life. And to the extent which you give up that treasure that is not him, right? He will do this regularly. And the longer you hold on to that treasure that's not him, the harder that this process will become. So submit to him, allow him. He's giving you his word. He's giving you his Holy Spirit. He wants to be active in your heart and life. He wants to be not just your savior, but your Lord. Let him. Let him be Lord of your life. Let him say, that treasure that you think is so good, it's not. It's harmful to you. Get rid of it. I'm a better treasure for you. We're going to have communion here in a minute. And we are going to do this like we have done it in years past. So, for a number of years now, a year and a half or so, there have been little cups that we have had out in the back and you've got those as you've walked in. As you can tell right now, people, ushers are getting up and they're going to serve you as the music king comes up and leads us in a song. So this is going to be a hard transition for some of you. Some of you, this is brand new. You've never been a part of communion. But I want you to think about something as these men and women are passing out these elements. And it is this, that when Jesus gives these elements, the bread and the wine to his disciples, he says to them, When you do this, you proclaim, you speak the Lord's death until he comes. My death, Jesus. So this is an act of proclamation. These are words for the Lord that you can put into the world today to say, I believe that Jesus is my Savior. So think about that. Meditate on that. As the song uh, is sung, worship in your heart. And as the uh, ushers come forward, take
0: the elements. And then after the song, we'll take them together.